Welcome to the Eating Your Cake 2 podcast. I'm your host, Claire Sieber, global career and leadership coach, facilitator, speaker, and founder of Eating Your Cake 2, a business focused on helping you take control of your career and leadership success. Right here on this podcast, you'll learn how to amplify your influence, accelerate your career growth, create real presence, and have a true impact by learning the tools and strategies that you need to show up with more courage, more confidence, and more clarity. Are you ready? Let's do it. Hello, hello, wonderful human. How are you? And welcome back to the Eating Your Cake 2 podcast. I am your host, Claire Sieber. And as always, it is an absolute privilege to be here with you, especially as you take the time to pop me in your ears and get about your day or night. So tell me, as always, what is happening in your world? What wins are you having? What are you finding challenging? What's difficult at the moment? What's grinding you down? What's getting in your way? I always love to hear from you with any barriers that you're facing and how I might be able to best support you to move through those. So please don't ever feel like you can't reach out to me with any questions that you've got, especially if you've ever got ideas for topics or podcast episodes that you'd like me to talk about. Today's episode is actually one that I have created off the back of posting a little Instagram story a few weeks ago and asking people, what topics would you like me to talk about? And it was interesting, of all of the responses that I received, the most popular topic or the most popular theme that seemed to come up was around how to work with difficult colleagues, how to navigate difficult colleagues, how to deal with egos in the workplace, how to work with annoying people, I think was one of them. So all around this theme very much of how do we deal with what we perceive as being difficult people, annoying people, challenging people inside the workplace. So that is why I've decided to tackle this topic for you today. And I've come up with a list of five kind of types of difficult colleagues, if you will, and some suggestions that I have on how you might be able to best work with them or how you might be best able to navigate some of the challenges that you face with working with these kinds of people. But what I also know is that these five types of difficult people that I'm talking about today are definitely not exhaustive. So I'm sure there are many, many other kinds of difficult colleagues that you might be working with now, you might have worked with in the past. Hell, you might even be one of them. We never really think about that, do we? We think about other people, but what if we're the difficult colleague? And so if you aren't following me on Instagram, make sure you do at eating your cake too. Because what I'm going to do over the next few days as this podcast drops is I'm going to be posting a series of stories where I really want to capture from you what are the other types of difficult colleagues that I've missed. I want to build a difficult colleague bank. 
And then I want to turn it into something that I can gift to you that whether it's an ebook or some sort of document that you can then take and you can use it a little bit as your own personal difficult colleague Bible <laughs> that you can look at and visit every time you find yourself in a situation with one of these types of colleagues at work and give you a couple of tips or hints or things that you can do to best support yourself. So that is what I'm going to give you today. The five types of difficult colleagues that I'm going to talk about today are, the first one is the know-it-all, the gossip, the slacker, the micromanager, and the negativity magnet. So maybe you've worked with one of these. Maybe you've worked with all of these. Maybe you've worked with none of these, of which case I'm so happy for you. <laughs> but either way, I'm going to give you my thoughts, my opinions on how to best navigate these kinds of difficult colleagues. Because the reality is, if you think about it, we we all, well, most of us work inside organisations where 99.9% .9 of people go into organisations and they're good humans. They're doing the best they can to try to get the outcomes that they need. But we all bring different views, values, beliefs, baggage, behaviours, communication styles, insecurities, egos, ways of working, you name it. We all bring all different types of those into the workplace. And then we just throw a bunch of people together in a room with all these differences and then we wonder why sometimes it doesn't work. And I'm not going to get on my soapbox today about self-awareness because that is another topic for another day. But ultimately, where we really seem to go wrong is we continue to look outside at what everybody else is doing wrong and therefore why we can't do our jobs. And sometimes we forget to look inward at how am I contributing to this conversation or this outcome or this issue that I'm navigating. And so that's something that I always do invite people to do. And to think about when we're having conversations around difficult colleagues or what other people are doing wrong, it's equally as important that we step back and think about for ourselves, what might I need to do a little bit differently as well to get a better outcome? So I've given you the five types of difficult colleagues that I'm going to talk through today. As I said, I'm going to be posting on Instagram, asking you for what I've missed. So if I don't talk about a particular type today and you are someone that is finding it really challenging to work with a certain type of colleague, let me know and we will work together to see how we can best support you going forward. So the first one I want to talk about is the know-it-all. Now, I reckon most of us have probably worked with people before who just seem to believe that they are the knower of all of the things, that they are never wrong, that their ideas are always the best, that, and they usually are the person that talks over people, interrupts others in meetings, kind of dismisses other people's ideas or squashes them, downplays them, labels them, and then props up their own idea. And they usually have a tendency to very rarely acknowledge their own mistakes as well. 
So the know-it-all is someone that can definitely wear you down over time when you are working with them pretty regularly because it tends to feel like they don't listen. They don't listen to anybody else. It's their way or the highway and they are the one that is always right. So the couple of tips or suggestions that I have for how to best work with the know-it-all and and I will put a little asterisk on this and say that some of these tips you might find hard to swallow because sometimes the antidote to dealing with a know-it-all or dealing with an ego is actually having to give more of ourselves and a lot of people will look at me when I say things like that and go why the fuck do I need to give more of myself to help this person who is the one causing me this pain. That, my friend, is the golden rule of diffusing stress, diffusing conflict, et cetera, is usually approaching it with empathy. So the tip that I'm going to give you for dealing with the know-it-all is actually to use questions as a superpower. What do I mean by that? If the know-it-all is sitting there talking about their ideas, why they're right, all of the experience that they have and therefore why everybody should listen, ask the know-it-all questions. Ask them more questions to drill into their perspective even more. Know-it-alls love to talk about themselves. They love to talk about their experience, why they're the best person for the job, et cetera. So play this to your advantage because what that will do is it will then make them feel heard, seen, noticed, and at our core, all humans want that. And it will then make them more likely to be open to your influence. So I know that one might be a challenging one to swallow at first. Why do I have to ask the know-it-all more questions about why they know everything? But the reason we do this is to show how we're actively listening and then you can play back to them what you've heard And then layer on top of that, your own perspective. You'll be amazed at how that starts to open the door for you to influence more effectively. So that's the first tip that I want to give you to managing the know-it-all. The second tip that I want to give you is acknowledge their knowledge. Acknowledge their expertise. Acknowledge their milestones or things that they've done in the past. But then ask them, What other perspectives that they've heard that they also like the sound of? So you might say something like, hey, Joe, I'm hearing from you. You've got awesome experience in this space. I know you said earlier that you were on this particular project and this particular project, and here's what you did. Love that. We're going to get so much value out of your experience. I'd love to hear from you, though. What other perspectives have you heard today that you also like the sound of? And then pause and wait. You've acknowledged the know-it-all's experience, their expertise, but you've also then asked them to acknowledge that of others as well. It's really important when dealing with a know-it-all that you stay confident in your own expertise and your ideas. The know-it-alls have a tendency to make the rest of us feel like we don't add value and we don't have enough experience. But remember that this isn't actually about you. Even though it feels like it is and it can feel personal, it's actually not about you. The know-it-all and the ego that comes with the know-it-all is actually coming from a space of insecurity. It might look and smell different to what you might recognize as being an insecure person, but it's still insecurity at its core. 
So don't take it personally and don't let it make you feel like your expertise, your ideas, your value isn't as important. Now, I could keep going about the know-it-all in terms of how to deal, but those are a couple of tips to get you started. The blog post that goes with this podcast episode does go into more detail on how to deal with the know-it-all. But I want to move on now to the gossip. I reckon most of us have worked with an organizational gossip before. And probably for a lot of us, we've been sucked into or we've been attempted to be sucked into the gossip's vortex. And what I mean by that is it's one thing to say, oh, I hate working with a gossip. They just breed toxicity. They stir up conflicts. They spread rumors. They don't have all the information, yet they go around talking to people. It's easy to say, I don't don't want to be a part of that. But it's actually very hard when you're on the receiving end of a conversation with a gossip to in that moment, make sure that you don't get involved. So my first tip when it comes to dealing with the gossip is really making sure that you don't get dragged into it because gossip thrives on gossip. So if you find yourself in a position where the gossip is tempting you with information, in that moment, you might be like, oh, I didn't know that. This is really interesting. But essentially, you're just playing into the gossip here and you're adding to the problem. So the first tip is to really make sure that in that moment where it might be happening, that you are strong enough to shut down the conversation and just change the conversation topic to something constructive, change it to something that's actually helpful. That is going to be your best course of defense for managing and navigating the gossip inside an organization. So where you can focus on other work-related discussions or and avoid personal topics. The gossip loves, loves usually to take information from people and then turn it into something bigger or take a tiny little bit of context and turn it into something else. So don't put yourself in a position where you might be exposed in a way that isn't constructive for you. Those are some quick tips on how to best deal with the gossip. But as I said, there are more in the blog post that accompanies this episode. Now, number three that I want to talk about is the slacker. So the slacker is someone who consistently feels like they're failing to meet deadlines. They shirk responsibility. They rely on others to pick up the slack. They're usually never around when there's a meeting taking place or a deadline that needs to be met. And it's super duper frustrating. So if you find yourself dealing with a slacker inside the organization, my advice is to actually have a conversation instead of just feeling frustrated by the slacker that they are not adhering to your way of working or the group's way of working, they're not meeting deadlines. Actually go and ask them. Ask them specifically how they like to work. Acknowledge that you're working on a big project. It relies a lot of collaboration and you'd like to hear from them. You'd like to understand from them How do they like to manage deadlines? How do they like to deal with milestones? How do they like to check in on where things are at? And say that you really want to know because I want to be in the best position to collaborate with you to ensure that we are meeting the deadlines that we need. So bat it back. Put the onus on the slacker to tell you how they like to work and then capture that from them and play it back verbally or in writing, maybe both, 
in order to make sure you're all on the same page with how to work. If you need to with the slacker, it is important to document their lack of contribution, document the examples of meetings that they've missed, deadlines that they've missed, et cetera, and then approach this with them if you need to. Sometimes it might even get to a point where you need to have a conversation with your manager. Proceed with caution is always my advice here. It's always best where you can to have a conversation directly with the person, but you also want to go armed with facts and information. So make sure that you've got that. The milestones missed, the deadlines missed, the meetings missed, whatever it might be. That's really important in order to have a constructive conversation with the slacker. Let's talk now about the micromanager. So the micromanager is always a really interesting one. And I, I would probably say out of the five that I'm talking about today, the micromanager and then the next one I'm going to talk about seem to be the two for me that come up almost every time without fail. So a micromanager is essentially a manager that is characterized by their felt need for control, excessive supervision, and constant interference in others' work. Working with a micromanager can be super duper painful. It can feel like they don't trust you. It can feel like you're not even really sure why you're there because they just tell you what to do anyway. Micromanagers breed an environment where people don't think for themselves. People just check out because why would they give it their all when my manager's just going to change it to suit them anyway? There's a lot of bad that comes from micromanagement. However, if we flip the narrative and we put ourselves in the shoes of the micromanager, so again, this is probably one of those tips that I'm giving you that you might not like at first. Usually a micromanager is just somebody that's really insecure themselves. They're probably out of their comfort zone. They're out of their depth. They feel outside of their bandwidth. And perhaps their way of coping is by latching onto the things that they know. Maybe it used to be their job. And so they know it and they feel comfortable with it. And so they hold on to those things because it makes them feel like they're doing something right. So practicing a little bit of empathy to start with, with a micromanager is often a good approach. And the way you can go about this with them is by just showing an interest in them and what they have on their plate. Often we just sit back and we bitch to our colleagues about our micromanager. We bitch about how difficult they are and flexible they are, how they're just breathing down my neck. But usually no one actually ever checks in on the manager and asks them, how are they feeling? What priorities do they have at the moment? What's keeping them awake at night? How can we best support them? And I will almost guarantee you that engaging in a conversation like that with your manager will go a long way to helping build trust, helping build rapport, and then allowing you to open the door for a broader conversation around how you can better work with them to help them be more effective and focus on the things that they need to by you being able to focus on the things that you need to. So my tip here, my ultimate tip is approach with empathy. Have a conversation with your manager around their world. You probably learn a lot about the fact that they're feeling stressed. There's a lot keeping them up at night and they've got multiple priorities that they're juggling that perhaps you didn't even realize. But opening the door to that conversation puts you in a beautiful position to then engage further with them 
around how you can best work together. How can you support them? How can they support you ultimately to deliver on what the organization needs? So that's the first tip. The second tip that I want to give you when dealing with a micromanager is to consider how you can provide proactively regular updates on where things are at. So my personal favorite is utilizing a traffic light system. So green, amber, red of your main priorities every week, fortnight, whatever it is, you send that to them saying, these are all the things that are humming perfectly. Here are the things that are still okay. And here's what we're doing about them. And if there's anything that's off track or isn't going very well, here's what it is. Here's what you need to know. Here's how we're dealing with it. And this is the next time we'll loop back in with you on where it's at and how we've solved the problem. Usually micromanagers are micromanagers as well because they feel like they are losing control. So if you can make them feel like they're across everything using a traffic light system or anything else that you think works, you are probably putting them and you in a much better position for you then to be able to get on with the things that you need to. So that is the second tip here is to think about what processes can you put in place with them to work more effectively together, to ease their stress and ultimately to ease yours too. Now, there are more tips inside the blog post on how to best deal with a micromanager. The last difficult colleague that I want to talk about is the negativity magnet. Now, this is the person that just seems to exude pessimism. They complain constantly. Everything is difficult. We've tried this before. It won't work. We did this 10 years ago and it didn't work. So why would it work now? Negative, negative, negative. And they have a tendency to bring everybody down with them and bring the energy right down. Now, we all have bad days. We all have tough times. So I'm not talking about the employee that has the odd bad day. I'm talking about that employee that clearly just doesn't want to be there. And that can feel exhausting. So the negativity magnet, there's a number of strategies that we can use to deal with the negativity magnet. I'm probably going to give you two today. The first one is to think about how can we, if you're in a meeting, for example, with a negativity magnet and they're just, they're just shunning every idea or suggestion that's put forward, that won't work, we tried that, no way, no, not this, not that. One of the things that you can do is acknowledge their commentary. So you can say, you know, thanks, Joe. I'm hearing from you that you don't think X, Y, and Z will work. Now that we've established the things that we don't think will work, tell us, what do you think will work, right? So you're kind of forcing them to give you something positive. You've acknowledged all of the things that they've said won't work publicly in the group. And now you're forcing them to think about what do they think then actually could work? This is forcing them to actually have to think for themselves. And instead of just batting back negative commentary as a front to avoid, you're actually forcing them now to have to think about something positive. So that's the first tip that I would give. The second tip that I would give with that too is don't be afraid to probe further with the negativity magnet. So if they're using commentary like, nah, that won't work. We've tried that before. There's no way it'll work. I disagree, et cetera, et cetera. Don't be afraid to then say, tell us a little bit more, Joe, about why you feel that way. Tell us a little bit more about why you don't think that will work. Help us understand what it is about this that you're resisting. 
force them to work for it. Now, your tone is very important here because if you say, well, tell us why you don't think it'll work, that's just going to arc up defensiveness and then you're going to end up losing the conversation's constructiveness and probably not going to get the outcome you want. Whereas if you're coming from a place of curiosity, Joe, tell us why you don't think that will work. Help me understand what your resistance is, what your hesitation is with this. You're forcing them to work for it. It's really easy to just throw out negative commentary without any backing or thought about why you feel that way. So sometimes forcing them to have to own their stance actually then puts you in a really good position when they can't back up why they think that. And then it allows the group to move forward, usually constructively, with an action that the majority of people want to move forward with. So that is the second tip that I have for dealing with a negativity magnet. And the third one that I have is to not take it personally. Once again, it can feel personal and you can feel like you're being attacked by people like the know-it-all and people like the negativity magnet and like you've done something wrong. You have done nothing wrong. Once again, even though it might not feel like it sometimes, it's actually not about you. It's about them. It's about their world, their perspective, the lens of which they're seeing things and their own insecurities. So if you've got the bandwidth to, once again, the antidote to dealing with this kind of behavior is to take an interest in that person, to ask them, how are they? You seem down. You seem like you're really kind of resisting this conversation. Is everything okay? And you might help break the ice by doing that because once again, you're showing an interest in them as a human. And at our core, as I've said many times, humans want to feel heard, seen and valued. So if you've got the bandwidth emotionally and mentally, that might be something you want to consider and see how that goes as well. Now, this is a conversation that could go on for hours. So I know that I've only given you a little bit of insight today into how to deal with some of these five types of difficult colleagues. As I said, if you want more information, there's more tips in the blog, but I want to hear from you. What have we missed? What other types of difficult colleagues have we not covered? Make sure you reach out to me when I post it on Instagram and let me know the other types of difficult colleagues that you're dealing with. But today we have covered the know-it-all, the gossip, the slacker, the micromanager and the negativity magnet. I hope you have found this helpful and I hope that it's given you a couple of practical tools that you can take to help you continue to show up for yourself, show up for your career and continue moving forward constructively in the direction that you want to go. That is it from me today. It has been a pleasure to have you tuning in. And if you've got any questions at all, as always, I love to hear from you. That's it. And I'll see you next time. Well, that's it for another episode of the Eating Your Cake 2 podcast. It has been amazing to have you here. And I am always so grateful for you taking the time to pop me in your ears as you go about your day or night. Remember to follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Eating Your Cake 2. And if we aren't connected on LinkedIn yet, reach out and say hi. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, then I would love if you would leave a review so that others can find the podcast and come and hang out with me here too. Until next episode, you've got this. You can do it. 
you are doing it. And remember to back yourself and what you have to offer. Hey there, thanks for hanging on and thank you again so much for listening to the podcast. I truly love having you with me, but I want to make sure that you know if you're ready to work together exactly how we can do it. The first way is through my game-changing Transform Your Career six-week accelerator program. This six-week online program is for busy professional women who are ready to regain control of their career and leadership once and for all. Go from feeling like just another employee to an in-demand asset in your company. Stop feeling lost, stuck and unmotivated and instead feel confident, worthy of earning more and armed with the tools to go out and get what you want. The Transform Your Career Accelerator cuts the crap and gets right to the key levers that you need to be pulling to ensure you are seen, heard and noticed at work. Add to this an epic group of like-minded women all coming together to share insights, learnings, and to build a new network along the way. If this sounds like something you need, then join the waitlist now. The link is in the show notes. The second way you can work with me is through my private one-on-one coaching program, where I only take a very limited number of clients each year by application. My six-month private programs are for you if you know you need tailored coaching and guidance now. You want a container of space and time just for you to work through your exclusive and unique goals. You don't want to wait for the waitlist in my other programs because you know you want access to my brain and my experience all to yourself. If this sounds like you, then book a free call in my diary today and let's chat. Lastly, if you want me in your organization to come and share my tried and tested knowledge with your team on how we can all collectively elevate our own leadership and career success, then jump on my website and download the services info pack or grab it from the link in the show notes. Thanks again for listening.